0: All right, listeners. Well, today we thought we would sit down and just uh, take an opportunity for you guys to get to know us a little bit better. So Roscoe and I are going to ask each other a couple of questions, Uh, and we don't know what those questions are. We haven't shared them with each other, so this should be fun. This is going
1: to go one of two ways. Yeah, (laughs) and probably bad. This is the B One Change One podcast, where our mission is to help listeners define values, practice integrity, and inspire change.
0: Our vision is to mentor men and empower them to achieve more by taking responsibility for shaping their
1: own lives. He's Cass, an evolving man who has been shaped by adversity and continues to grow through his imperfections. And he's Roscoe, an imperfect work in progress that tries to suck less every day. Between us, we have over 40 years of Air Force fighter pilot experience with countless hours as trainers, instructors, and mentors. Join us and learn to take responsibility for your own life as we dive into subjects from leadership to resilience to vulnerability. Be the one who changes their course. Be decisive, driven, and purposeful. Set the example for others. Lead. We wish we'd had this show when we were younger men. Be the one.
0: So I guess we decided that I'm going to start. So here we go. Shoot. So... A lot of you guys out there may not know, but Roscoe spent 21 years in the Air Force. Air Force, retired Air Force veteran, strike Eagle Wizzo. But he also did a lot of other things while he was in the Air Force as well. And one of the commendations that Roscoe got was a bronze star, which is pretty fucking cool if you ask me. Uh, so I was curious if you would mind sharing the story around how you were given a bronze star and what does a bronze star mean and explain that
1: to the listeners. Okay. What's so it given for? The way that I understand it is it's it's generally, and this is probably a gross generalization, but it's generally designed to be given for leadership in combat. And there's kind of two ways that you can get it, as far as I can tell, is one, you can do something very heroic in some sort of leadership capacity, and that could be just taking one for the team or dragging your buddy out or, or whatever. And typically, those are the, going to be the Bronze Stars with a V device for Valor. Yeah, for valor. Something valorous, right? Is Valorous a word? Is that the way you say that? I think it's just for Valor. Just Valor? Valorous isn't a word? I don't think so.
0: It might be. I don't know.
1: Like I said, I'm an English major. I've said this before. I can say it and spell it and use it in a sentence. So, anyways, you get a Bronze Star with a V device, or you just get kind of a plain old Bronze Star, which is what I got. And generally, I think it's just for leadership and combat. So there I was, 2011, spring of 11. I'm on a deployment, a six-month deployment as an Air Liaison Officer, and we're outside of...
0: What do Air Liaison Officers do?
1: So we are the advisors to the Army Ground Component Commanders.
0: A.K.A. Pounders. Yeah,
1: um, so that we can assist him in executing his ground schema maneuver. The example that I always use, and I joked with the 06s, the Army 06 is about this is, you know, they're all full of piss and vinegar going, Hey, we're going to go take the hill. And I'm like, yeah, but sir, I can blow the hill up. Yeah, there is no hill. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, but anyways, that's, we, we try to integrate, help him integrate air power to achieve his objective, right? And a classic, funny story that I had is I'm sitting in the the morning meeting one morning and typically I zone out through these things because there's never any questions for the air liaison officer, the ALO. I'm sitting over there drinking my coffee, daydreaming about what I'm going to do for the rest of my day. and, And the 06 goes, hey, Roscoe. Yeah, sir, can I shoot hellfires into Pakistan? And I like almost drop my coffee mug. Yes, but, but hold up. We need to talk after this. The rules of engagement at the time were—they were liberal in a sense, yeah—but they were—they had left and right boundaries, sure. And and he needed to know how he could do this because what they were—we were right on the Pak border at the time, and bad guys were coming just into Afghanistan, shooting missiles and shit at us, and then going back into Pakistan because they knew that they were safe yeah. over there. There were provisions in the ROE to where we could pursue them to an extent, but. We had to, he and I had to sit down and have a conversation, but at any rate, so 2011 um, in Afghanistan, I am stationed west of Kandahar, a little postage stamp, uh, Ford operating base, a FOB called FOB Wilson. The whole thing is maybe, is maybe a mile long and maybe a half mile wide. So just enough for you to run around the border of it and get a decent workout. Yeah. We had a, uh, what's called a FARP, a forward air refueling point. So we had a lot of helicopter traffic coming in there. And our 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 base, our FOB was, well, our, our whole area of operations was along a river valley. And it was very high traffic for the opium and marijuana and cocaine trade and, and heroin trade down there. So we were doing, this was also right about the time of the war where they were changing over to counterinsurgency or coin operations. And so we were busy, dude. Like we were, we were doing operations. I think, I mean, no shit. I think we, we did something like 75 air assaults during the six months that I was there. So, I mean, do the math. That's like one every two or three days. Right. So, I mean, we were, we were jobbing and each one of those air assaults is like days of planning and coordination. And we were um, executing also what was called a JTM's joint task messaging. And so I was doing, I was the lead on that. And I was coordinating a lot with the CAOC, the Air Operations Center over in Al-Udeed to do all the targeting for all of these pinpoint drops. So they would go out, the ground guys would go out and they would identify where all the bad guys were living or where they were making IEDs or um, their drug safe houses or or whatnots. They would pass that over to me. I would help work with the CAOC for the targeting on that. And then we'd bring in, a B-1 bomber or a couple of strike eagles or a flight of vipers or something like that. And they drop off all their JDAMs. We schwack, you know, 15 targets in yeah. one pass kind sure. of thing. And it's, I mean, it's like, I don't know. There's like 20 people involved in the execution of this. And, and I remember standing up in the talk. We, our talk was like a theater style talk. That's a tactical operation yeah. center
0: for those that don't know.
1: I remember standing up in this thing and uh, right next to the battle captain and and he and I just quarterbacking these whole things. And we, we maybe did 20 of those. I mean, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Because it was just, I mean, it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Things are hitting, you know. The coolest one was we brought in two B1s. Uh, they were opposing each other. One's going west. One's going east. And they hit like... I don't know, 10 miles from the targets or so and they checked each of them checked forty five degrees right. So they check away from each other, mm-hmm. open up their bomb bay doors, like fifty freaking bombs come out. And we're sitting in the talk. This is like two o'clock in the morning. We're sitting in the talk. And I thought the TVs were gonna fall off the walls. And now these targets are, I don't know, fifteen kilometers away. Yeah. But that much yeah. trip and all going off at the A same time. It was awesome. That's dude. cool. Yeah. Uh so there was that and then you know, the heading up of of all of those air assaults and all of those uh, targets that we killed, and then just the normal day-to-day ops of leading my JTAC team. I think we had 35 spread out through our AO at that point, and I was kind of the ringleader for them all. And then the swap out of the two different brigades. So we, when we were getting ready to leave in May that year, a whole new brigade was coming in with a whole new set of JTACs and ALOs and all mm-hmm. that. And I kind of headed up a, a major portion of that what they call a rip, a, a relief in place. Sorry, and uh, so for those reasons, it was kind of a, it was almost like a culmination. Yeah, and and for that, my brigade commander put me in for a bronze star. That's super cool, man. Yeah. So the army guy put me in for a bronze star, and then the air force approved it through army channel. So it was really, really kind of weird. I yeah. Mean, even though the army, even though the army nominate you for this the air force still has has to give it its blessing Brugal. and then it goes back to the army channel so it was actually an army general that signed off on it right but the air force colonel had to kind of go it. yeah okay fine you yeah know? So whatever thanks a lot colonel asshole yeah whatever. right so, on so anyways long story but no um, that's cool i basically did my job yeah and got a ribbon at the end right on so <laughs> sounds like you did a good job i'd like to think i did a pretty good job but yeah. i i would i would also like to think that anybody else would have and could have probably done that. Yeah, that's a lot of
0: support for those guys, though, on the ground, man. You know, who knows how many countless lives you guys may have saved over the course of time with all the uh, air missions that you guys planned and and executed.
1: It was a a fun deployment, man. You know, I was a little bit hurt about working with the Army at first, but it turned out to be really – Really challenging and really rewarding. That's cool. Uh, I learned a ton. Learned a ton. Like the army speaks a completely different language. Oh,
0: it's and it's all doctrine too. Yeah. They're so tied to doctrine, it drives me out of my mind. It was was crazy. It
1: was crazy. Did it answer your question? It did. Sweet. My turn. Okay. I'm going to go a little lighter. Okay. What book are you currently reading?
0: I just started a book called Primal Leadership. I don't have any idea what it's no. about yet. So I don't know if that's a good question or not. Cause I, no kidding, I just cracked it. Um, so
1: I just went on for six to nine minutes. Yeah. You got to do better than that. No, I'm Come sorry, on. man. No, uh,
0: Primal <laughs> Leadership. Uh, I can tell you about another book that I'm almost done with, but it's sci fi. It's a great series. Okay. Yeah. So it. there's this guy. He's his author. His name's Richard Fox. Uh, he's a retired army guy, actually. Mm. And he wrote this series. The Ember Wars. So he did the series called The Ember Wars. It's, I love sci-fi. And so it's all about, basically, there's like this advanced, there's this race that basically obliterated their own galaxy with advanced technology accidentally. And they're moving towards. Oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah. And they're moving towards the Milky Way, but it's taken years, right? But they send this whole thing of drones out ahead of it to basically like cleanse the Milky Way of any life. So if they if they come up on a planet that had civilization, but there's no longer civilization there, they kind of rest- they kind of maintain the status quo. They make sure that none of the the stuff that was there, so they can study them, is uh, destroyed or anything. But if there's any kind of sentient life, they wipe it out. So this other race is trying to. Long story short, there's a whole bunch of races in the galaxy. Nobody nobody on Earth knows about, right? And one of these is a race that sends out these probes and they try to, these probes are like AI almost, if you will. And they kind of calculate whether or not they can get to a place where they can do something to help. And if they think that they can, then they move forward. And if they don't, then they kind of like self-destruct. Well, one lands on earth and this guy gets it and he ends up doing this skip jump drive thing where when the Xeros drones arrive, they kind of like skip ahead in time, like a time slip thing, but then they come back and when they come back, it's 30 years later Everybody on Earth is dead, and there's just a like a small contingent of drones that are still on the Earth. Anyways, one of the parts of that storyline, I'm actually reading something that's a spinoff from it, but one of the parts of the storyline is they create these armor soldiers, right, that, that live in, that these guys, they, they basically go in amniosis containers inside a huge 15-foot metal suit, and they're just badass, right, kill everything destroy everything, super hard to kill, blah, blah, blah. Um, And there's a spinoff series that's all about armor and some stuff that goes on. There's, like, different divisions in the armor. There's certain people that are, like, Templar that follow a certain kind of code of ethics and rules and stuff like that. And it's about this whole split and divide that happens between, like, the regular armor and the Templar because there's procedural humans when they came back to the earth uh in order to repopulate so that we could have the mass and force to fight Xeros off when they arrived again they created cliches and procedural human beings where you could grow a human in nine days basically wow and so there's been this big split between like normal borns on earth and the procedurals and anyway so i'm reading one of the armor books right now or right, just about finished with it
1: it's a cool series I like sci-fi. You just totally nerded out. Yeah, I did. That was that was cool. Yeah, no, that was that was good. As you were talking about that, I, like two or three different either TV shows or movies came to mind. And there was one with Tom Cruise and some redheaded chicken, and I can't remember who she was, but where they were there, he was a clone. Like at the end of the movie, you find out that there's multiple versions of him, mm. but it's kind of that you know world after the apocalypse, and they're here to. Yeah. Uh, to maintain the drones and yeah. whatnot. That was a pretty good one. And then there's a show on Amazon called, I think it's called Another Life, where this chick is, she she's in charge of a ship full of people and AI and dudes and whatnot that are going out to meet this whole new civilization way out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, maybe it's another galaxy or something, but it's a very interesting show. You might like that. While we're on the subject, and this doesn't count towards one of my questions, but why, while we're on the subject... Do you think there's life out there somewhere else? I, it's hard for me to believe that there isn't. Yeah, just based on
0: numbers, it's right? Just the vastness of space, too, yeah. right? I mean, every time we put a new telescope up in space, we find all these other galaxies. I mean, the, how yeah. many millions of galaxies have they discovered at this point, right? And
1: well, did you watch the the? There's a series on Netflix called Unknown, and one of the episodes I just watched it a couple nights ago it was on the James Webb mm-hmm. Telescope. Yeah. And so they took a picture, the first picture that they took with that James Webb telescope, I mean, it's, you know, a foot by a foot or so. In fact, they said, it's so small, the, the if you took a grain of sand and held it out with your arm up against the sky, that's about how much of the sky they photographed. There were 7,000 galaxies yeah, in that, that one photograph. Just,
0: that stuff, the, like the vastness yeah. of space blows my mind.
1: I There's a, another really good show on Netflix. It's all about infinity the whole thing, it's like two hours just talking about the concept of infinity and I can't get my mind around it.
0: Yeah. For me, um, it's hard for me to believe with as vast as spaces that there isn't some other blue orb circling around something somewhere that doesn't have some kind of sentient life on it. But that's just me.
1: Well, I think the law of averages. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're a little bit nearsighted, I think in our, and, and maybe it's because we just don't have the fidelity to see there yet, but we're a little nearsighted in our search thus far. But when you take into account the amount of galaxies that are out there, and the amount of stars in each galaxy, and yeah. the amount of stars in those galaxies that have some sort of planetary, you know, something going around it, yeah, I mean the odds are,
0: yeah. Well, and the, the point there is there. stay curious, right? Because eighty years ago we were we all thought we were the center of the universe,
1: yeah, and well, that's
0: obviously I mean, not the case. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and
1: and this is we have some we have some really good conversations, you know, not to go into religion and and theology or anything like that, creationism, creationalism sure. or anything, but gosh, man, I mean, the the things that we've found out in the last two centuries mm-hmm. about us and the universe and where we are and how we fit and all that stuff. So, I mean, Copernicus, what it was, what was it, less than a thousand years ago, he proposes to the church that we are not the center of the universe and they like threw him in jail and killed him or some shit, I know, right? right, crazy. And then like a hundred years later, they're like, oh yeah, hey, you remember that Copernicus, <laughs> Copernicus guy? Yeah, he turns out he was right. Yeah. Our bad, you know, so... It's one of those things where it's like, okay, we don't know now, but who's to say that we won't know in 50 years or, yeah. or something like that?
0: All the, right, you ready for the next question? Shoot. All right, this one's a little deeper. Tell me about a time that you failed as a leader.
1: All right, so I think this one, this one comes down to... I'll go ahead and tell you what I think the root cause was, and then I'll tell you the story. I think this one comes down to immaturity and ego. Okay. When I was a young enlisted guy, well, that's not even true. When I was about a medium enlisted guy, I'd been in about maybe five years or so. I was an E5 at the time, and I made the next rank. I made E6, and they made me a flight line expediter, which is – to say that they put me in a truck to drive around with a radio and basically coordinate all of the... I was the quarterback for all the maintenance activities on the flight line. Sounds cool. It's busy. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Every day there was a new problem to solve. That's that's why I really enjoyed doing that job. Is there was a problem. I had X amount of people to solve that problem. And it was like putting together a puzzle. And the puzzle was new and fresh every day. The problem was one of my chief resources, well, two of my chief resources was time and people. And the goal at the end of the day was to produce as many widgets as I could. And those widgets either came in the form of fixed, full-up mission-capable jets or sorties flown, whichever shift you were on, utilizing the two resources that I had at my disposal. And I think I... I think I didn't do a good job on that simply because I didn't know how to manage those two resources and, and lead those people and inspire those people to do great work. Now those people did great work, sure, but not because of me, right? They did the, They did great work. I think because they're awesome human beings and they were motivated and, and, and they just had that kind of innate drive to do Mission well, focused. you know, and, yeah. and, and to be fair, I mean, when you're a, when you're a maintainer on fighter jets, there's a standard. Right and yeah. and we accept nothing but that standard. There's no there's no such thing as lowering the standard because yeah. we're about to put a pink body in that thing to go fight a war, and and the pilots that come out to those aircraft have to know that that jet is there's no flaws. Good in to this. Go. Yeah, yep. exactly. There's no margin of error, zero. But I wish that I, I really wish that I could go back in time and have that that year and a half or two years to do over again, because I can't help but think that I would have done things differently. I was a little bit of a dictator. I think I was definitely a micromanager for sure. Yeah. Um, And I hate, I'm not even going to use this as an excuse. I'm just going to say it for what it is, but I, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and, and I don't think that I had matured to a point where I was ready for that responsibility. Mm there's, there's this thing in the air force where your level of responsibility that's given to you is usually given to you because of the rank that you hold, not because, not necessarily because you deserve it, you know? And, and I knew people, even at the time, I knew people that were younger than I was age-wise and, and rank-wise. I knew people that were younger than me that could have done a much better job. And I knew people that were older than me that would have done a worse job. So, the two don't necessarily correlate. Did you seek out a mentor during that time at all? Or were you just
0: like, hey, I'm Brasco, I'm badass, and I'm going to you know, make
1: this happen? The, the, the stupid part is I had, I had multiple, numerous opportunities to do so. I also had multiple and numerous people who tried to be a mentor to me. And I would sit there and kind of pretend like I was listening. Yeah. Like, yeah, right on, dude. Okay, I'm not going to mess that up anymore. Or, yeah, I'll do things differently. But then once I got in the truck, I kind of did my own thing again. And, yeah. And that sucked, man. Now, luckily, I say this kind of frivolously almost, but luckily, at the same time, I was going to school and and you know, got my college degree, and I ended up going to OTS. So I kind of left that whole world behind and and kind of jumped into a new almost like an entire new profession, almost, which kind of saved me from the impending doom that I was going to have. Like a bunch of my bros at the time, gosh, I probably know six or eight guys from my age group that we all worked together, ended NW and Chief Master Sergeants, yeah. which is the highest enlisted rank you can attain, right? I don't know that I would have made it. Yeah, Because of, like, I mean, sure, I had the marks and the strats and, and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, people just didn't like me. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's not all about the widgets that you produce or the numbers that you put down on paper or the stats that you can create for the company. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about the relationships and the people. Yeah. And I think that I could have done that a lot better.
0: Yeah, that's very true. It is about the relationships and the people. That's what I learned as I got older, you know, and, and into more supervisory or command positions and that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So a lot, sometimes you have to have the flexibility when you give somebody a task to let them figure it out and kind of go about it on their terms, you know, and, and provide advice and, and some mentorship and, and follow up for sure. But you can't get too spun around the axle width. You got to do it. My, like there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of guys in the, in the military that get really uncomfortable really quick if you're not doing things the way that they do them. And so that was a good, that was always a good lesson for me.
1: I I think I was that guy. Yeah. And yeah, it sucks, man. I was a, I was a young man and I was trying to figure shit out. And if I could go back and do it again, I think I would, I would, I would like to think that I would do things differently. And, um, probably starting with getting a notebook and sitting down with one of those older dudes Yeah. And and really trying to digest what they were trying to tell me. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I mean, it's so difficult too. And and this is a great, just a great message for young guys trying to find their way. When you're a young man, you feel like you want to prove yourself. Yeah. Right. And and when you get thrust ahead of your peers, yeah. First of all, it feels good. Yeah. I mean, I was just on the phone with Nikki today and he got some compliments from his leadership team at work and they invited him to go out to lunch and meet with the bigwigs, right? That feels good. Yeah. That, that pat on the back and that affirmation that feels really good. But at the same time, you you have to stay a little bit humble yeah. and realize, man, I maybe I don't belong here and maybe I have a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, or you know, maintain some humility, but also maintain some curiosity, right? Because you also don't know what you don't know.
1: That's you know hundred percent true. And when you get yeah. into
0: the leadership positions, if you haven't really that maybe you haven't really been into before, there's gonna be some Things that come up whether it's you know people issues or just how you lead a team and things like that and there is nothing wrong with going to those older cats and going hey man how do you do this like yeah. what's your approach to this can you give me some advice here like hey can I buy you a cup of coffee let's go talk about this because I need some I need some direction or somebody yeah. to help me kind of work through this process in
1: my head a little bit well you're gonna hear me say this over and over and over in this podcast and and it's it's so true but the ability to raise your hand and say i don't know or i fucked up that is a superpower man if if i could create a super hero full of values that we're going to talk about yeah. that would be one of them yeah, that would be sure. that would be one of your superpowers yeah. is to be able to raise your hand and say i screwed that up or i don't know the answer to this let me go find out yeah asking for help is not a bad thing yep don't you, you end up You know, we, we use, we use so many euphemisms in the military and one of them is go slow to go fast and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. But you know, there's a, there's another version of that. That's if you go out there and you think that you know how to do it, you're inevitably going to screw it up because you've never done this before. You're not expected to really know all the answers. You go out there and you try, you give it your best game without any coaching and you're going to fuck it up Yeah. and you're going to end up having to go back and redo it anyway. Yeah. So why not just ask the questions and get it right the first time? Right. You know what I mean? Anyways. All right, your turn, man. Well, you went deep, so I guess I got to go deep. You don't
0: have
2: to.
1: Oh, I'm going to go deep. What is your definition of a man?
2: Ooh.
0: That's a, I mean, I think that's a difficult question because I think that definition can be very individualistic because, like, we, when we talk about values, those are very individualistic pieces that kind of make up that core system that you operate by. But for me, I, and and I think too, right. I mean, I don't know. It's, um, I'm not a big ego fan. We've talked about, you know, like the mantra at weapon school was humble, approachable, credible. I think that's a good place to start. Um, I think you need to have a certain amount of humility. I think collaboration is important. I think men are kind of taught to, you got to do everything on your own. You got to be the big macho guy kind of a thing. And what you'll find is, especially when you're in those leadership positions, like we were just talking about, is that the more you rely on your team, the better the outcome is that you're going to get, right? So, and it's really about finding ways to maximize the performance of the people around you. Because if you do that, you're going to elevate the organization by default. Yeah, staying curious. Asking questions instead of passing judgment. I wasn't always good at that. It was easy for me when I was younger, I think, to make some pretty quick snapshot assessments and judgments about people instead of maybe digging a little bit deeper and finding out what was driving that. Or, I mean, even if they were struggling with something, you know, I can tell you stories about people in the squadron that were underperforming and everybody thinks they just suck. And then you come to find out that, you know, dude's having a really hard time at home with his wife and they're about to get a divorce and nobody knew. So, you know, there's always distractions in that sense. So dig a little deeper. I think one of the messages that men get too right is that you can't show emotion. You can't show fear. You can't show dude. That's all bullshit, right? It's total bullshit. I've been scared a ton of times in my life. I've been scared in the jet. I've been scared personally, you know, in relationships. I've been, I mean, fear is part of it, right? So that's bullshit. And the whole idea too, that we're not allowed to show emotion. I mean, I think, I think the ultimate form of courage is vulnerability, you know? And so when you can show up and be vulnerable, not just with the people around you, but also just with yourself and how you assess yourself and how you approach certain things to strip some of that ego out of the way is really important you know, and vulnerable with the people that you love, right? And being a little more transparent and open and honest in your conversations with them uh is really really important. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of you know, wave top overview what I would say is are the important pieces to me. Yeah. You know, cuz like you were just talking about, right? Like being able to raise your hand and go, "Hey, I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing here. Can I get a little help?" That's vulnerability.
1: Yeah. Course. And that
0: also takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah. Right? Like, it's also yeah. the most courageous
1: way to show up. Yeah. So I think we find that, that a lot of these things that we talk about are circular. Yeah, they are. You know, they're, they're like one leads to another, or one yeah. can complement another, or one can counteract another. And talking about fear, and, you know, one of the ways that you can overcome fear is through courage. Well, how do you eat courage? As I think about it, and, you know, the limited research that I've done on it, I think about it like this, man. And I, you know, maybe it's the military brain in me coming out, but I'm a process kind of guy. I like step one, two, three kind of deals. And I think about, I think about the combination of preparation and discipline and confidence. And when you put those three things together, I think that that can equal courage to a degree. And that's how you get over fear. And, And the process piece of it goes like this. I'm scared of heights. Well, I'm in Hawaii, and these dudes told us to go out, hike out here, you know, climb the tree root or whatever, and jump off the waterfall and into the pool. It's like forty feet, right? Which forty feet doesn't sound like much, but when you're standing on top of forty feet, it's yeah. you know, you get a little vertigo. Vertigo sets in somewhere around thirty-four feet or so, um, which is why the army puts their uh repelling tower at thirty four feet. Hmm. And so that you get a little sense of vertigo before you have to jump. They're trying to scare the shit out of people. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So anyways, um standing at the top of this of this waterfall and I remember having this thought, well, this thing ain't gonna jump off itself. One, two, three, go. You know, and is it Mel Robbins, I think, the uh, the five second rule where she says when you're faced with something like that, you just go five, four, three, two, one, go. Yeah. All right. You don't think, you just do it. If you're thinking about calling that hot chick five, four, three, two, one, hit send on the message yeah. or, or, or call, you know? And I think that, I think that that, that piece of it, I think comes from discipline of executing a one, two, three step process. Step one, hike to the waterfall. Step two, climb up on the rock. Step three, jump off the rock kind of thing. And if I'm disciplined in completing my processes, then there's no room for fear yeah. to jump in. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot more that goes into it, but in a simplistic way, that's um that's kind of the way I wrap that piece of it up.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's important about that too, is I agree with the preparation and the discipline, but I think the, the overarching thing there is kind of what you're getting at, which is it's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to allow fear to
1: paralyze, you. paralyze yeah. you or
0: not allow you to, to move into something or to that's try right. something or to do something. Yeah. Right. Because I'll tell you what, my first couple combat missions, I was scared, you know, I was yeah. afraid I stayed up, at night, laying in bed going, what's tomorrow going to be like, you know, and thinking through all the different things or through the mission set and all that stuff. But I didn't let that stop me from lighting the AB, doing a combat departure the next morning and going and doing the thing. Right. So you just, at some point you have to rely on those types of things, know that you're ready, you're prepared and
1: You just got to get to it. That's confidence. That's confidence, yeah. yeah. That's confidence and preparation. And and if you prepare correctly and and you know that you've done everything that you can to get ready for that mission, then hopefully that'll alleviate a little bit. Now, there's always going to be nerves and, like, the butterflies in your stomach. You know, like, you know, coaching football, I don't think I ever coached a game where I didn't get butterflies. And and I taught my kids, man. We'd go out on the – Onto the field before the game, starting our pregame warm-ups, guys, it's okay to be nervous. If yep. you need to go puke, go puke. Yeah. We'll, we'll rehydrate you and go because yeah. that's perfectly normal. It's okay to be scared. You just can't yeah. let it drive your decisions. Yeah. Well, and another theme that we'll get to and that we'll talk about through these episodes that keeps coming up almost every single time we sit down and talk is decisiveness. Yeah. And it's not okay to just sit there and do nothing. Yeah. You have to do something. Yep. Choose left, choose right. Doesn't yep. matter.
0: And. Another theme that will come up is that it's okay to fail sometimes, right? Like failure is one of our greatest teachers. And so valid. you could be afraid of maybe if I step into this, I'm going to fail and maybe you fail hard and that's okay too, right? Yeah. Like, cause you just, you get the lessons learned out of it.
1: You adjust course, you make corrections and you move forward. Yeah. I mean, I'm in this great book right now that this book that I'm reading, it's uh, it's called the intentional father. And he's going through the steps of how to raise a son and like in society right now, at least in our society, we don't really have that rite of passage. Uh, we don't have that crucible that you know maybe some other civilizations either had or, or maybe still have, but yeah. we don't really do that too much anymore. And so he's he's trying to give you some examples of things that you can do to teach what he believes is good, valuable traits to be a man, you know, and, and things that that I think make a good man are things like honesty and loyalty and and effort and hard work and discipline and stuff like that. I think it would be, I'd like to hear arguments against those things Yeah. as your definition of a man, because yeah. I would, I would argue that you're not arguing what a man is it that right, you're arguing something else. But anyways, yeah. what a douchebag is maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Instagram influencer. I don't yeah. know. Um, but what he, you know, one of the things that he talks about is competence and confidence and and I kind of, I wrote that down the other day and, and just wanted to ponder on that a little bit, confidence and competence. And I think that a lot of the things that you were talking about and a lot of things that I just was talking about can maybe be summed up in just those two words. Yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't know. Competence, you know, confidence is good. Develop the a, skills to win, yep.
0: you know, you have to prepare, you have to be disciplined mm-hmm. and there's a big difference between competence or confidence and cockiness, right? And Fine that's line. kind of where you see guys that have the bigger egos, but are usually very insecure in some way. Uh, which is why they rep- why they show up that way. But at least that's been my experience. Well, maybe they lack a little competence. Maybe they or confidence, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah, either yeah, one. True. So, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I think that those are all good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe that'd be a fun one to deep dive into maybe in a later episode. Yeah, we should do take that. A, take a deep dive into what is manhood? Yeah, what is it you about? Know, what does it mean? Because, you know, we, we kind of scratched the surface of, we were talking a lot of what I would consider maybe professional analogies. But we, we could really go down into personal, personal. or family. Yeah. You know, I mean, you and I have both uh, been leaders, heads of families for yep. a long, long time. And, yep. and I know that we have some some similar, but maybe some different points of view on what our roles are as, sure. as the head of that family or the leader of that family. So yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, will have to jot that one down for next time, maybe. We'll definitely do that.
0: All right. That was two. Okay. So uh, first time you were shot at, since we're talking about fear. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. <laughs> Well, this is going to be comedy. Okay, so there I was, knee-deep in hand grenade pins, in a porta potty, in Afghanistan. Pants around my ankles. It's like maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm dropping a deuce in a porta potty, and the whole fob starts to get shelled by mortars. Oh no way! Yeah, so they they used to. Um, we had this tower in the middle of our fob. Uh, that had a camera on top of it and it looked like an old school tv antenna with a big camera on the top of it and we could see almost our entire area of operations with that i mean you could read a guy's t-shirt from like five kilometers away it was really high fidelity but they would aim at that tower and then they would just try to guess on the up and down Mm. to try to hit somewhere in the middle of the the fob fob. yeah and for their for that reason we had um thank god they weren't good at what they did seriously man (laughs) You know, you gotta admire some of the genius you they do. had. Yeah, though. I mean, they were very to set these rockets for you sure. Set these rockets up in the middle of of a field somewhere and put it on a washing machine timer. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty genius, man. Yeah. For some redneck engineering, that's that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. But we had uh, our our fob was like a maze all around it. Like you would, if I sketched it out, you wouldn't believe the route that I had to take to get from my tent to the fob. And yes, I lived in a tent for six months. It kind of sucked, but. It was it was a maze of these giant like 15 20 foot concrete, concrete barriers. Walls, yeah. And this is the reason is so the, these mortars come in and they're they're kind of on a low trajectory. They're aimed at the tower and they're just guessing at the up and down, but the idea is they'll hit the concrete walls and not kill the people. You know, worst thing you get showered by some rocks. Yeah. So anyways, there I am in a porta potty with my pants around my ankles. And the sirens start going off and you can hear I can hear the whistle of the mortars Going over me, and I'm like, "Oh, I am not dying in a porta potty in Afghanistan with my pants around." So I jump up, and I'm, I'm no shit. I, I don't have my body armor on, nothing. I, I jump up, and I've got my pants. I'm holding my pants up by one hand, and I'm running with the other one, and I would like dive headfirst in the bunker. And I'm sure everybody saw my ass cheeks and everything, but that was that was the first time of many times that I got shot at by indirect fire mortars <laughs> at, my, at my fob. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll never forget that one you probably have some more heroic stories of dodging surface air missiles and no, do No, Just triple a. Yeah. Triple a yeah. do the, do the kind of thing. Skinny weave mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. Now it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. I do have a, I do have a better story. I didn't get shot at, but I got hit in the head with a bullet. Oh, really? <laughs> Thought that would get your attention. All right. So as part of my, as part of my learning process, to learn how to better lead these ground pounders I talked my leadership into letting me go out on a mission and this is a very benign mission it's it was almost comical the mission that we were going on. we're going out we're going to drive out of the fob maybe like I don't know two miles down the road stay the night get up the next morning clear a village and come home right so we're staying one night sleeping under the stars which was epic we slept on cots next to the truck and just stargazed until we fell asleep it was great Next morning we get up and we go clear this village and we found these giant piles of marijuana and heroin and all kinds of cool shit and we arrested a few people and it was great and not a lot of work for us you know yeah. we're, we're there to call in air support and this is a low threat thing and the uh, we did have a accidental discharge one of the uh, Afghan nationals accidentally pulled the trigger on his AK luckily he was like fifty steps in front of me but that'll get your attention real fucking quick yeah I bet it will so anyways. Um, They, they, you know, we clear this little village and it's maybe like 10 buildings or so. And they gathered up all the junk that they wanted to blow up. And there were some AK rounds in there and a couple other um, explosive, maybe like RPG rounds or something like that. And a whole bunch of heroin and a whole bunch of marijuana and stuff. And they put it in this big pile and they do what's called a bip, a blow in place. So EOD goes out there and they line the whole thing with C4. And we go over and we take shelter in this little. This was, this was grape growing country, right? So they have these these huts and they're they're probably maybe 30, 40 feet long with maybe 10 foot high walls and they're made of solid mud. So the walls are like two feet thick and through these walls are drilled these like two inch holes and they shove these sticks through them and that's what they lay their grapes over to dry them out, mm. kind of keep them sheltered, right? So we're taking refuge in one of these things and we're eating our lunch and we had our body armor off. We had our hats off, our, our helmets off. And um, we're sitting there eating our MREs or whatever and just smoking a Lucky and chucking and jiving. And they call, hey, we're going to go fire in a hole in five minutes. And I was like, cool, I want to go watch this. So I jump up I throw my body armor on. And me and my my buddy, we walk out the front of this grape hut, kind of looking in the direction where they're going to do this this BIP. And um, one of us, I don't remember which one it was, says, hey, we should probably go get our helmet. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we go back, we grab our helmet, stick it on our heads firing a hole, firing a hole, firing a hole. Boom. And I'm videoing this whole thing. I'll show you the video one day. I'm videoing this whole thing. And I go, oh, look, look at all the frag. Cause you can see it landing in yeah. front of us. You can see the dust coming up from all the frag, from all the shit they just blew up. We're maybe 500 yards away from this thing. And in the video, you can hear this ting, <laughs> And and I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> a freaking AK round fired hit- off. Hit well it blew up oh, it in the thing up. and it hit me in the head in the helmet. Wow. And I turned around into the grape hut and there it was stuck in the side of that thing. And no I had way, it. Man. Yeah, I kept it forever. I That's had it forever crazy. and I lost it somewhere. I don't know where it went, but I'll have to show you that video. Yeah, it's, you will. I told Katie about that and she almost passed out. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily shot at, but definitely hit in the head with an AK round. Right on. Yeah. My turn? Yeah. All right. Hmm. If you could eat only one food forever, what would it be and why? Tacos. Tacos. Oh, God, yes. I do some shady shit for
0: good tacos, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All yep. right. Tacos. It'd be tacos for me for sure. Tacos. God, I, I love them. wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. This is always a good debate at our house. Yeah. I, I love tacos. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Soft-shell tacos. I don't care if it's chicken, I don't care if it's steak, I don't care if it's pork, whatever, I good tacos.
1: I guess I was thinking about this in a little bit different, in a little bit different way cuz a taco is really a salad on a shell. Kind of, yeah. Um it's a it's a combination of a lot of different foods. Yeah. Narrow it down to one food.
0: Oh, like pizza or something like that? Well, is that what you're getting at?
1: Pizza's even maybe a combination of a lot of foods i guess you could go pizza but i mean either way you go you're not going to live very long i don't that's okay man <laughs> tacos are good <laughs> <laughs> yeah fish tacos
0: I'll, that's what i'll do i'll tell you then i'll fish tacos good fish, fish tacos i could live off of good fish tacos for the rest of my okay. life and if i okay. can't pick tacos then it would be probably salmon
1: Sam. ooh salmon yeah that's a good one.
0: i could eat salmon for every day all day
1: salmon until I get zinc
0: poisoning or whatever for eating too much of it. Mercury. Mercury whatever did you, did it is. Did you ever
1: go to Alaska? Uh
0: well, yeah, well I went to Isleson for a Coke tea, Coke okay. dinner back in the day, but yeah. uh, never been there otherwise. Did you get a chance to go fishing at all? But I grew up in Seattle, man. We had oh, great yeah, okay. seafood. Yeah, yeah.
1: My whole life. Steelheads, so, yeah. And, yeah, same thing, right? Yeah. Trout. Salmon. Yeah. All of it. Crap. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. Great Northwest. Yep. It's good shit. Yeah, we lived in Alaska for uh, five winters and Gosh, the you get so spoiled. I bet you get. Well, I mean, I'm sure you were the same way living up there with yeah. all the water and the and yeah. you got fresh water and salt water yep. everywhere, and, and and you just get so spoiled. Like we'd go out and I pay a hundred bucks and go catch a hundred pounds of halibut. Yeah, you know. And have you bought halibut at the grocery store? I know, hey, right? Jesus yeah, it's Christ, so man! Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I said chicken. Did you really? Yeah, because you can cook chicken a million different ways. That's true. You can do a lot of different things with chicken. Either way, we're not living long.
2: Yeah.
1: Katie says potatoes. Really? Because I guess for kind of the same reason. You can do. Yeah, that's true. You you can can do a lot with potatoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It's like like Forrest Gump. You can have sautéed chicken or fried chicken or shredded chicken or (laughs) chicken tacos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So is that three? That's
0: three. Okay. Two more. How do you tell me how you stay motivated and focused on a goal?
1: Mm. nearsightedness focus on the near rocks that's you know it I have this conversation with a lot of kids that I coach and especially when you're young when things seem so big and so daunting you have to focus on the near rocks man and and I kind of use the analogy with these younger kids of, of stacking up dominoes you know lining up dominoes to make your big beautiful picture that you're gonna do that you're gonna make when you finally knock them all over but you have to knock them over one at a time. Yeah. And, and and I'm just having this conversation with Caleb as he's getting ready to go to college about, you can't focus five years from now when you get your diploma. Yeah. Or you can't focus on getting in that F 35 cockpit, which is one of his dreams and goals. You have to focus on what's the next homework assignment. Right. And, And you really, I mean, it sounds, it sounds so easy, but it's so simple to lose that, that focus and, and start thinking about things that either you can't control or you can't control yet. Yeah. And, for me, that's how I do it. Obviously, some of these goals that we work on, just like this podcast, man, putting all this podcast stuff together, yeah. That's it's a pretty big project. It is. You know, and and there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just plug a microphone in and go for it. Yeah. So I lined I just wrote everything down on a whiteboard and started checking them off the list, man. Yeah. And it's really simple. It's not cosmic. It's focus on focus on the front sites, man. Yeah, make a checklist and start yeah. working it.
0: Yeah. What yeah. about you? Focus on fundamentals. Yeah. Very, very similar. The motivation piece is, I think it's important one to make sure that you're setting realistic goals first of all. Right. But, um, as long as they're realistic, that's just it, man. You kind of figure out what is the process that I need to go through to get there. Sometimes you got to ask some questions to figure that piece out and then you yeah, ask, make a list, start checking it off. You know, if there's certain things that you got to learn or, you know, kind of focus on the fundamentals yeah. that helps you build what you were talking about earlier, as far as the competence and the mm-hmm. discipline and, And all of that stuff to be successful at it. And then you just keep pressing. And don't take no for an answer, right? My first year, I went to Embry-Riddle. And I was in the aviation program. My first instructor at Embry-Riddle, we didn't get along very well. He told me I would never be anything more than a recreational pilot. Did that motivate you? Hell yeah. Good. And I did 20 years in the S-16 in the military. was a weapons school graduate. I mean... You just Obviously, a hand he was wrong. But yeah, finger. I should have. If I if I could find him today, I would. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, and that's the other thing, right? Just I don't I don't listen to the noise. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're focused on a goal, especially if it's a big goal, you can't listen to the noise. There's going to be a million people that they're going to tell you you can't do it or mm-hmm. no
1: or just keep pressing, man. Well, you kind of have to be prepared to take an L sometimes too. Yep. You know, and and it's not all unicorns. and roses you know it's sometimes it's going to suck sometimes you get to get gritty and um I didn't I didn't catch it the first time you said it but after you said it again I noticed there's a word in your question that I didn't that I didn't catch on and it was motivation and how do you say motivated well there's a there's a difference to me between motivation and discipline and I teach it to my boys like this motivation will get you off the couch today discipline will get you off the couch tomorrow all right. It's easy to be motivated for one time or maybe two times. And, and I just had a meeting with a guy this weekend who said he was talking about, yeah, you know, I've been watching these YouTube videos to get me motivated to go and do X, Y, Z. Okay. That's great. But what we want to do is we want to, we want to replace that YouTube video with something inside of you yeah. that gets you up and get you going. And for me, and, and this is just a personal thing, but I have, I believe that there's two voices inside my head at any given time. And one's my apathetic voice and one's my empathetic voice. And your empathetic voice is the one that's, it's playing to your feelings about how, Hey man, you don't really want to go on that run. It's really hot outside. You know, that's going to suck and you're going to get overheated and, and all that. But then there's my apathetic voice who doesn't give a shit about my feelings. Yeah. And I call him inner quitter and my inner champion. And I named these guys, right? So my quitter, his name is Stan and my champion, his name is Jack. And I make it a game inside my head to still tell Stan to shut the fuck up. Yeah. So whenever I get that voice that says, I don't want to do something or man, it's really cozy inside your house and you know, it'd be really cool to just veg and watch some Netflix. Yeah. That's Stan talking to me. Yeah. And, and this, this, comes with a lot of, I think a lot of practice and a lot of introspection and a lot of self-awareness that I've just built over time to be able to recognize those thoughts and that that mindfulness of knowing that this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's my inner bitch that's talking to me and trying to talk me out of doing what I know needs to be done. And that allows me to have a conversation with Stan, tell him to shut the fuck up. And then me and Jack go get the shit done. Yeah. Right. So that to me is the difference between motivation and discipline is discipline is going on between your ears. Motivation is an external type thing to get you going. Yeah, that's good, man. I like it. Sorry. These are the things I think about when I'm alone. All right. Number four. What stage of life are you currently in?
0: What what are my stage options? I don't know. Do you mean like from adolescence well, to? Like,
1: I think uh, the way that I look at it, anyway, is my life has been kind of like chapters in a book. Yeah. So what chapter are you in now?
0: Oh, probably the waning ones. Yeah, <laughs> to a little bit. Yeah. You're getting towards the, the yeah. denouement, if you yeah, will. No. <laughs> well, I mean, the chapter I'm in is is a place where in my life I finally have a lot of time back to a certain extent to focus on a lot more personal things that are important to me. Um, Whether that's, you know, family and investment in my kids or just relationships in general. Yeah. Like I haven't had the flexibility in life, especially in the military necessarily to, to, to have the, 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 The amount of time that I have now to do those things or to pursue, you know, things that I'm interested in, like the podcast that we're working on right now, you know, and, and finding ways to give back and to be a mentor to younger kids or younger men, you know, and to find ways to pass on a few things, if I can, from the experiences that I've had in life and the lessons that I've learned, some of them through a lot of adversity. And so, yeah, that's kind of the stage I'm in now, man. I just, because of the job that I have... And I, the fact that I only really work about half the month, if that, it just, it gives me a lot of time back. Yeah. And that's been a great gift in some ways because it's allowed me to do a lot of self inspection and, and personal reflection to kind of work on some things that I need to change about myself. It's allowed me to be a lot more present because when I was a a younger man, I was very future focused because it was always, there was always something to achieve, a goal, a mission, whatever it was, right? And so I have to work on that a lot, you know, and then relationships too, you know, to focus on those relationships that are really important to me and, and to, to try to feed some time back into those things that I missed when I was younger.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I look at my relationship or, or I look at my, my duty to my kids in a different way now than I did maybe three or four years ago, because they're just. They're older, you know. I mean, I, my youngest is graduated. He's getting ready to go to college. Nikki's about to turn twenty-one, and uh, he's he's kind of getting his stuff together. And yeah. Tyler's what is he twenty-seven? Yeah, about to be twenty-seven, and got a handful of kids. And you know, so they're you know, my role as a as a dad, as a father, as a you know, raising my kids. That I shifts. think I think I'm I think I've raised them. Yeah. And I don't think I'll ever be done being a parent no. necessarily, but, but I think I've raised them and I like to think I did a decent job. Sure. Time will tell on that. The, the The world will give us feedback on whether or not that, that was true or not. So now I'm kind of in a position where I feel like I need to be an example to them because they're not going to be sitting around my living room for me to lecture them anymore. Sure. You know, Katie and I are about to be empty nesters, which is an interesting chapter yeah. to enter. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to turning that page, but I'm scared to see what it's going to say. Same. We, we, we talk about this probably three or four times a week. We talk about, in fact, she just put up something on Facebook today and it was a memory and somebody had taken a picture of me and her, we were watching one of the kids play baseball and we're sitting in those stupid fold up chairs uh-huh. and she and I are looking at each other facing inward, looking at each other and we it, it was almost like we were reaching for each other's hands or something, and somebody behind us snapped this picture. So the baseball field's in the background with us kind of watching the field and everything, and it hit Katie today. She she sent it to me separately, but it hit us both that for 20-something years. That's been life, We've yeah. been sitting on the sidelines watching these damn kids. Yeah. You know, rooting for them from the stands or being on the sidelines with them or whatever, and this is the first year that we don't have a ball game to go to. right. And oh man, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary. It's a it's like a blank page. You know, it's like it you're, you're turning this you're turning this chapter in the book, and it's kind of blank. Yeah, it's definitely a transition. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be way different. It's gonna be way different. I, I wanted to I wanted to say something though. You were talking about you know your transition from going from active duty to retired, and somebody somebody said this to me a while back where they said typically when when guys retired from the military, specifically the Air Force, but they end up in one of two categories. You either get Captain America or you get Fat Thor. Yeah, that's very so, true. <laughs> so I'm happy to report that I'm at least working towards being in the Captain America yeah. side of this bell curve and yeah, not no the doubt. Fat Thor side. But how many, I mean, gosh, how many people do you see that, Oh yeah. you know, they get out of the Air Force and they're like, woohoo, no more PT tests. It's, yeah. it's pizza and beer from here on. Yep. Wow. They go sideways fast. Yeah. So anyways, all right, that
0: was Four. One more. One more. Okay. If you could name one or two, what would have been the biggest, who's been the biggest influence in your life or your biggest role model? Mm. Like, is there any, any, any one or two folks that you've, you know, modeled yourself after over time or that have just had that real impactful place in your life?
1: Yeah. Katie's dad has been a, a pretty solid, consistent figure. For me, and, and I think a lot of it was, this isn't necessarily throwing shade on my dad, but my dad went a different route, and, and you know, his, his style and his profession is stuff that I'm just really not interested in. Yeah. Whereas Katie's dad and I, we share a lot of similarities, both in our, I mean, in our personalities, in our pursuits, professionally, personally, all that stuff. We share a lot of common ground, and for that reason, he and I have never run out of stuff to talk about. And I mean, as recent as just a couple of months ago, uh, when they were out here visiting for the graduation, mm-hmm. he and I were up early one morning having coffee, and we just talked for like two hours. Yeah, just just BSing. And I was asking him about because he's what is he sixty seven, maybe something like that. So he's on he's right there at the I'm never going to work again age. Yeah. And he set himself up yeah. really good for this with his investments and everything. So I'm picking his brain about yeah, hey man, sure. so so when did you when did you go from a high risk yeah, to a moderate, moderate risk, to a and, and, risk and start dialing it back, you know, and, and I mean, I'm 47. So I got a little bit of time. We were talking about the stock market and and, and inflation and, and, you know, how these things are impacting him versus how they're impacting me and, you know, the real estate market and things like that. And yeah. he's got a, a much different perspective from 20 years in the future that I can learn from. Yeah. Right. So I pick his brain on, on a lot of these things. Like, um, we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about, you know, how is, how has he handled, how did he handle that transition when all of his kids moved out, you know, and it was just him and his wife sitting there. So we, I mean, we, we had really good conversation yeah, around a lot cool. of that stuff. And then I had another, I had a commander uh, years ago, former Thunderbird dude. And he was just so, he was just like, cool. You know, like he wasn't like a commander, like when he walked in the room, you knew that this guy was in charge, but he didn't project himself like that. And, and, and I say that he had a little bit of influence on me. He actually had a lot of influence on me, but it was his oldest son and my youngest son played baseball on the same team. Mm -hmm. And when I went to work every day, he was the boss and I was his chief of safety. Right. But that evening at six o'clock me and him would sit out in the outfield and chew sunflower seeds and solve the world's problems. Yeah. Almost exactly what you and I used to do in your office. Yeah. You know, just we just sit there and, and just talk. Yeah. You know, and it, and it helped me realize that there's a big difference between Roscoe and Paul. Yeah. And, and I think that that was that came at a really pivotal time in my personal progression, my personal growth, mm-hmm. that I was able to separate those two and go, okay, I can do both. Right, I can go to I can go to work and have my alter ego, and then I can come home and just be normal. Yeah, I don't have to carry around this persona all the time. Right, and I don't have to be this this hardcore military guy around my family. I'm supposed to be fun. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and I think that he really helped me turn that corner during those during those years. That was maybe you know mid to late 30s or so. So I got, I came to it late, but that's cool. But I got there. Yeah, so
0: that's cool. I think what's cool about that story too is. You know, so often I think we look for somebody to be in that role that's, you know, like our dad, right? But, I mean, my dad was a good man, but he wasn't a great father. I didn't learn a lot from my dad. And so I guess my point in saying that is, you know, you'll find those people that you can set yourself up with or that can be mentors to you or that you can look to as examples Everywhere, yeah right? It doesn't have yeah. to be somebody necessarily that you're just close to, or that's in your family, or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they come in all shapes and sizes, and from all kinds of different directions. So,
1: yeah, and I like to use the analogy of kind of building the perfect superhero. You know, look to look to multiple people and take the things that you really like about each one of them and build your perfect mentor. Yeah, through a company of people. Yeah, you know, and I'm not. I'm not. Try, again, I'm not trying to throw shade on my dad or anything because yeah. he taught me a lot. You yeah. know, he taught me the value of hard work and family and and uh, dedication to a to a cause and all these things. You know, but you know when it, when I got into manhood, I joined the military when I was 20, so I wasn't around my dad when I was kind of in that transition period through my mid 20s into manhood and stuff. I had met Katie and I spent a lot more time, I think, with her dad than I did with my dad. And that's why I threw that out there. It yeah. not it wasn't I'm not throwing shade on my dad no, yeah. necessarily, but now my dad and I disagree on some things for sure. We've we've definitely had our, our moments together. Sure. He's much more of a passive person. I'm I tend to be more kind of in your face and tell it like it is where he's more really? No. <laughs> Say um, it isn't so where he's a little more he's just a little more passive yeah. about things. And I I don't personally That doesn't attract me. Okay. You know. What do you do to maintain your mind-body-soul balance? So, for me, it is
0: uh, working out. That's really important to me. That helps with all kinds of things, from one, just staying healthy and staying in shape, to stress relief, you know, you name it. I do a lot of reading. Uh, I enjoy reading. Um, it's kind of a quiet, alone time for me, if you will, where I can just get into a good book and learn something new to try to continue to, you know, challenge my mind, challenge myself um, and move forward in those respects. And then I just, for me, and we'll talk about this in the podcast a bunch too, because it's going to come up over and over again, because it's a theme that I think everybody struggles with, but it's, you know, finding balance and between those things, right? So it's not just like, Hey, I can do a couple of these little things and then boom, I'm going to be in alignment. Like I'm not always in alignment. I'm not always in. So I have to try to find balance between my professional life, my personal life, you know, the relationships that I have, how I show up for people. And then you have to try to figure out what those things mean to you. Right. So like you and I have talked about this. I mean, I even told you guys this when I was, uh, when we were in the four twenty fifth together, I'm an introvert, so at the end of a long week on Friday night, going out to me sounds exhausting. I need to go home and be by myself and have some quiet space or be with my wife and just have some downtime for me to recharge. If I go out and, and you know, party or, you know, go out and have dinner and hang out all night on Friday night, dude, I'm going to be wiped again come Monday morning because yeah. I'm not going to get that downtime I need. And that's a process. And you just have to figure those things out for yourself, you know. Um, but so for me, it's just finding those times to – to get the downtime that I need so that I can recharge my batteries to get back out and do what I need to do from a work perspective because it's basically customer service industry, right? Yeah. You know, and then finding those things that keep me engaged. I mean, one of the reasons that I reached out to you about this podcast is because I needed something to intellectually, to help intellectually stimulate me. There wasn't, I mean, you know, I'm not solving the world's problems every day anymore like we were doing in the Air Force and flying a 737 ain't that hard, right? So (laughs) So it's just finding those different avenues to to keep yourself engaged, but then also provide that balance to give yourself the downtime that you need to recharge the batteries when you need to as you kind of move through it all. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I think you did. I think you talked a lot about the mind and the body. What about your spiritual side or your soul side or, you know, that, that kind of that third dimension to round it out? Yeah, well, for me, again, a
0: lot of that comes, some of that comes from the, the reading that I do. Yeah. You know, sure. how I feed that um, and explore certain aspects to that for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not a, like a big spiritual Christian style person yeah. necessarily. That's not that I don't believe in God per se, but yeah. uh, I've got my own thoughts around some of those things and we sure. could talk about those another time. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's how I do it. You know, podcasts that I listen to, you know, different ideas or things that I explore through reading or research. That's how I stay in touch with that side of me.
1: Yeah, I think I think that there's a uh, probably a common misconception, at least from my perspective, that when I say mind, body, soul, or mind, body, spirit, that people automatically associate that with religion and yeah. God and things like that. But well, you I'm, know I'm how not I really talking about that. Okay, yeah. I'm, so I know where you're getting it's at like now. Like so how I how I fulfillment yeah, how and, I how yeah. I feed
0: my spirit these days really is by how I show up for people yeah, that's good, and how I yeah. help out. Right. Yeah. And, and when I can provide support for a friend mm-hmm. or direction for maybe somebody who's struggling, you know, I was talking yeah. to you about a, a guy that I flew with recently. who's going through a whole bunch of difficult decisions in his life. And we were able to do a whole values exercise to kind of help him get down to the nitty gritty about who he really is and yeah. what he really believes in. And and that's, I have my hope is that that helps give him clarity with some of the decisions that he's facing and has to make. So yeah, that's, that's definitely how I feel, how I feed yeah. that soul slash spirit side of myself
1: now. Yeah. I think it's important and it's so easily overlooked. A, an example is for about the last three weeks, we've had this heat wave going on Yeah, here. And so I've been getting up at five in the morning to get my walk in, you know, I grab my little weighted vest and I go on my 45 minute walk in the morning and after I don't know, it took me about three days to really recognize and, and internalize that. Man, I'm getting to see the sunrise yeah. every day. Yeah, you know, and 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 now I kind of after three weeks, I'm kind of looking forward to it yeah. every morning. You sure. know, because it's it's just that I don't know. It's that little moment of just man, this is. This is really cool. Like this morning cool. there were some there were some clouds up in the mountains and the sun was kind of reflecting off of them. And you know, if you've never seen the silver lining around a cloud, yeah. it's fucking awesome. Or just the colors. Yeah, too. it's and we get some of the best sunrises we and do. sunsets around here. I like going out in my truck or my jeep or something, just going down a dirt road and listening to some country music. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, I'm a country boy at heart. I do pretty good living in the city, but every now and then I got to get out and. And just blast some country music, man, and kind of get right with my soul a little bit. Yeah. Get back down to my roots. Sure. And then kind of like what you said, you know, kind of recharge, reset, reset the batteries a little bit. And then I'm good for about another month or six weeks or so before I need to do it again. Yeah. Uh, During riding season. So starting in about October or so, it'll be just about every weekend. Yeah. We'll we'll be out cruising, cruising the trails. And I love to be out in nature. I, I think that that is probably... Uh, for the listeners, man, if you need some grounding, yeah, or or you There's need a to lot just of research back, that supports that, get, I love to get out in nature, man. Listen to the leaves. Yep. I've told you about the twelve-hour walk thing that I went on, where all I heard for twelve hours was a crunch of my feet on the gravel. I mean, it's it's cathartic, dude. Yeah. And and just like exercise, kind of gives you a chance to zone out. Sometimes, right before I came over here today, I did a thirty-minute workout on a treadmill, and I wasn't thinking about anything else. It was just my steps focus on my breathing yep. and, and that was it, yeah. you know? And, and I, I think that that's a really good way to just clear, clear your plate just yeah. a little bit, do something really hard or get out there and do something that just kind of get you by yourself for a yeah, little bit
0: out of the busyness and the craziness yeah. and the, the attachment of everything that we have in life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that balance,
1: sure. that balance is so huge. And, and, you know, the mind, body, soul, kind of that three-legged stool analogy that we use that balance I can go out for a walk or a jog, and listen to a good book that stimulates my spirit, and and get all three of those at the same time. I've I've you know it's taken a long time to get to that point. Yeah. But there are there are ways that you can do this and not not have to spend you know like an inordinate amount of time on each one. Yep. You can combine these things, man. Yep. And listen to a good podcast while you're running on the treadmill. You're, yeah. You're knocking out all three. That's right. You know? Yeah. Yep. All right, man. Well, anything else to add? No, that okay. was five. That was fun. That was we, fun. You know what? So like six months from now, we need to do this again. Yeah, probably. And and try to, I'm going to save this and so come up with different questions. Sure. And, uh, that, was a, that was a fun little exercise.
0: Yeah, and for the listeners out there, we hope you guys enjoyed it. It was just an opportunity to have a little bit of a lighter discussion, give you guys an opportunity to get to know us a little bit better because we're going to have some deeper subjects that we talk about in the podcast that are going to take a little more thought and yeah. attention and self-reflection. So. Anyways, that's yeah. all I got. What about you,
1: Roscoe? Be the one. Be the one. Thanks for flying with the B1 Change 1 podcast. If you got something out of this show, then be the one and share it in your circles of influence. You can be
0: our wingman through our website at wwwb one change That's B and the number one change and the number one dot com.
1: We invite you to be the one and join our fighter squadron on social media at B1 Change 1 on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can follow us at Paul Roscoe White on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, as well as Roscoe's website, www.paulroscoewhite.com. You can email us from the website and please leave comments, share, and
0: ask questions, or leave ideas of things you would like to discuss on future podcasts. Most importantly, be the one that helps us win the algorithm by leaving a review on whatever platform
1: you're listening on. Thanks for joining. Until next time, be the one.